Hello and welcome to the Diet Obsessed Podcast. I am your host, Veronica Santarelli, and this is a podcast for those of us who are just obsessed with all things diet culture, and we're trying to find some balance in this world full of extremes. All right, everyone, let's get into the episode. So I'm so excited. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Mackenzie Green, and Mackenzie is the vice president of social media for Who, What, Where, Click Brands. She is a graduate of Columbia Business School and the University of Miami. She serves as president of the University of Miami Young Alumni Council, board member of the U.S. chapters of the Shoebox Project, University of Miami Alumni Board of Directors and Girl Scouts of Greater Los Angeles board member, a proud graduate of the UCLA Reardon MBA Fellows Program. She holds two Suncoast Emmys, served as the former vice chair of the National Council of Negro Women, for which she was awarded the Legacy Award by the Southern Youth Youth Leadership Development Institute, a proud member of Kappa Kappa Gamma and the Lynx Inc., and held the title of Miss DC USA, in 2010. I'm super excited to talk about that. And she's also a co-host on the Taylor Strecker show, which is how I first heard about her because we review the Taylor Strecker show uh, occasionally on this podcast. And so, I mean, it's just, she's very accomplished people. That's, that's sums it up, but thank you so much for being here. Welcome Mackenzie. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for asking me. I truly feel, you know, I'm so impressed that you'd want my crazy self on this show because it's so wonderful. Well, there's many reasons that I wanted to have you on, um, and we'll get into some of them a little bit later on, because one of the reasons that sparked um, my desire to invite you as a guest was a, a conversation that you did have on the Taylor Strucker show, and I did a former podcast about that, but we'll get into that in a minute. Um, One of the other things that we do on this podcast is we review a lot of other podcasts that talk about diet culture, weight loss, fitness, all of that. And I was reviewing this podcast called Food Heaven. Have you ever heard of it? I feel like I've heard the name before, for sure. It's also produced by Dear Media Studio, which is okay. And so um, they had a guest, it's two uh, registered dietitians, and they had this woman on by the name of Sabrina Strings. And she had written this book, Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origin of Fat Phobia. And the the book was really about how fat phobia is tied to racism and that the desire to be thin was perpetuated by like religion, uh, particularly amongst white women. But, and I, I really wanted to have somebody of color to discuss this. So what are your thoughts on this, Mackenzie? What are your thoughts on fat phobia being tied to racism? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I'm, and I was really grateful that you kind of like put the book on my radar for sure, because I had kind of seen the book floating around and had never really read it. And I think the interesting thing, and I'm sure a lot of minorities feel this way. It's like, you hear these kind of what feel like to everybody else, conspiracy theories, right? Where it's like, you're saying stuff like, guys, the diet industrial complex is rooted in racism. And you feel like you have your tinfoil hat on and you're saying insane things. And then you read a book like this and you see that there is actual historical context to these things or that, you know, all of this is rooted in something else. And, and I always laugh when I kind of like come across books like this and I have the pleasure of being a speechwriter for, um, you know, somebody in the civil rights space. And I remember putting in their speech, um, you know, racism, and you'll appreciate this audience will appreciate this. It's kind of like when you go on a diet, and you decide to give up sugar. And you're like, I'm going to give up added sugar. And then you start turning labels over. And you're like, when did they start putting sugar in mayo? Why is there sugar in this? Like, you know, you're just eating a regular thing where you're all of a sudden like, you know, eating a piece of sushi. And then everybody's like, you know, there's added sugar. I thought you gave that up. And I remember putting the line in the person's speech where it said, you know, racism is like added sugar. When you actually start checking the labels, you find it in everything. And I think that's what kind of is like, it's this funny thing where you start realizing, and I think this is why I've always will love that kind of Kumbay collective uh, quote about uh, we fight for the least among us because when we make things equitable for the least among us, we all win. And it's like, right, no matter what color you are, white, black, brown, you know, 
whatever religion, we as women feel the pinch of fat phobia seeping its way into everything of how, and it's detrimental to us. And then when you find out something like that was rooted in racism and anti-Blackness, then you just get pissed off because you're like, oh, great. So because, because of, you know, pardon my French, but it's because of some bullshit situation, I'm now, even as a white woman, I am now inheriting the ugliness of this thing where I'm looking at myself in the mirror crazy when in actuality, this whole thing was built up to oppress one person, one group of people. And now the ramifications are just kind of controlling my life also. And so I always think this kind of stuff is also encouraging because it's like, when you dismantle these systems, we all win. And so I just thought the book was incredibly powerful. And that was a very long winded way of saying that, you know, I do agree with her kind of overall thesis statement. Um, And I really thought the book was really smart and profound in how it laid it all out. Yeah. I mean, she definitely did an incredible amount of research and, and yeah. cited a lot of historical references and books and writings that, that really displayed this. Yes. Um, but I think your perspective is really well broken down. What about the religious aspect being tied to like thin, like the desire to be thin? Yeah. You know, and I think it's such an interesting time, right. That we're recording this of this idea of like religion impacting women's bodies then and now, you know, even for myself as like a devout Christian, I'm always really shocked at how much we as Christians kind of foist (laughs) our weird dogma onto others. So this idea of like thinness is closer to godliness. And it's kind of like, who's, who said that? Right. I know for a fact, Jesus didn't tell you that. I know God (laughs) didn't tell you that. I know none of the disciples agree with this. What are we talking about? Who came up with this? You know, and I think it's that interesting thing. I'm always balancing that dichotomy of the reality of the love and favor of, you know, my actual savior versus like the secondhand account of what somebody else wants me to think. And so I think that's such an interesting part to me because even when I've learned about like the Salem witch trials, right. It's like, that was rooted in darkness was evil. And it's like, Oh, okay. You know, it's like, it's like all roads lead back to the same bullshit that you're like, here we go again, you know, but I think it's so interesting, the religious aspect, the puritanical nature of it. I mean, cause don't we all feel that as women, it's like the thinness, the purity, the, this, the modesty, the, that, the, 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 and you're like, Nobody agreed to this, you know, in a very circuitous way to your answer. I listened to this great TikTok a woman had where she was like, all of this is made up. She was like, money, it's made up. Like the idea of who's in power, it's all made up. And she was like, once I realized it was made up and I realized I was living somebody else's fantasy, I just divested from it all together. And I think that was the part that was interesting to me about how the book laid out the huge part of like kind of the, the puritanical Protestant reformation stuff really had an impact. And it's kind of like, once you realize that you can kind of step back and be like, Oh, this isn't real. I didn't sign up for any of this. This is somebody else's story. I'm out. Yeah. Cause you would, in the conversation that you had with Taylor that day, you were talking about how it's tied to the patriarchy. Yeah. And when I thought was kind of preparing for this interview, I was thinking about how, you know, Taylor herself is, is you can tell like her, the way she grew up in like that strict Catholic kind of um, area. I mean, Massachusetts and East coast is very very conservative, very puritanical and, you know, the the tie of being bad, you know, sexually. Right. Yeah. Or from, (laughs) from like a food perspective and being bad, being good. I mean, it's, it's very tied into, you know, what we're expected to be as women, I think. And yeah. And I think it's almost funny that, right. It's like this idea of, because when I said to Taylor, like at the end of the day, when you realize all of this is rooted in like a white patriarchal decision that nobody's benefiting from, it's just the lie that like one group were told, well, if you stay close to us, we'll take care of you. And then another group was told, well, you need to try to be as close to us. And I think that's kind of the funny thing, right? It's like, when you take a step back and you go like, who decided there was morality assigned to food or exercise or what I do with my body. It's like all of it really just gets back to like what I do with my body. It's like the audacity, you know, and I think even Taylor and I had that conversation on the air. It's like the audacity of larger bodies to be like, I'm fine. Leave me alone. It's like, we all are very like, but don't you feel, don't you feel wrong? And it's like, no, I feel great moving on. And you're kind of, it's like all of us who are still kind of rooted in that weird fat phobia kind of step back and we're like, damn, 
I wish I could do that. You know, it's like, there's, I think like that to me is always really the conversation when it's this idea of like, you know, body positivity or what is fat phobia or the patriarchy. It's really all of us as a community of women too going like, oh my God, wait, wait. So I haven't been in control of this. Oh no. Now I'm mad. And it's like, don't get mad at each other. Get mad at them. (laughs) Right. No, totally. I used to be in the weight loss industry, like back in the day, that's, where I got my start in sales. And, you know, it was, it was mainly women that worked there, but the owners were two very powerful white men. (laughs) Yep. And one of them was disgusting, by the way, he used to own Nutrisystem, (laughs) married, such a pervert at our conferences. I mean, disgusting. Well, it's, it's just, and it's funny because like, I'm definitely guilty of like tying morality to like my size of being like, I am worthwhile. I mean, hell, even at the time that this was recorded, like when Jesse and I, um, Jesse Jaws, who's amazing and phenomenal. And I think every human that could ever listen to a podcast she's on should. But when she and I were kind of discussing like my own experience of existing in the pageant world, it's like, I know for a fact that I like, it did a number on me mentally, not because like, you know, my family or my coaches, like, cause God bless them. That woman was so body positive, my coach, but it's like, I just, I tied so much of my, like, oh, I'm a worthy person because I'm small or I'm, you know, and it's like, and then I wasn't anymore. And I was kind of like, well, you don't deserve to date. You don't deserve to do these things. You don't deserve to be out. It's like, I had a friend in grad school that said to me, like, what happened to all your pictures between like 2010 and 2015? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, if I go on your Facebook right now, like the last series of photos are like when you graduate college. And I was kind of like, really? And I looked and I realized, oh, I had tied my own like good or badness. And again, getting into that, like the morality of it, it's like, oh, well, you're worthy of being ostentatious and seen this change now means that you don't have that right. If that makes sense. Totally. No, the conversations that you've had with Jesse are like my favorite. You two together <laughs> are magical. And she really inspires me because she's done so much self-work. And, yeah. And I just, you know, I, I think we're all, you actually, ins- I almost didn't do this podcast. I mean, because I was feeling like, am I perpetuating like diet culture? And I was like, it was you saying that, we're all fucked up. Like, we're all messed up. <laughs> yeah. in head. Like we're all trying to get out of our own way because we've been taught this. So I give you credit because honestly, I needed you, I needed you to say something like that or somebody, you know, at, at your caliber, because I don't know. I just, I was like, am I doing the right thing here? I don't want to put sure bad things into the world. It's but- very kind of you to say that. And I know how you feel. Cause I'm the same way. I like, I'm a I love exercise. I'm like Mindy Kaling. I love a diet. You know, like she said in her book that time, it's like, I very much like, even right now, before we recorded this, I was at the gym, which, you know, with my trainer and he has like a meal plan and all this stuff. And it's like, but I think knowing it's like first step to recovery is admitting you have a problem. It's like, I know that little voice is in there. So then I have to say to myself things like, okay, I don't think we need to post the the smoothie because there's a possibility that somebody else that isn't responsible will be like, well, what's in the smoothie? And then they're like, well, should I do that? And I think like what you're saying about like, does it perpetuate diet culture? I almost treat it like dealing with like friends who are alcoholics, right? It's like, you kind of have to like gauge where the people in your life are and you have to say to them like, Hey, this is not for you. Like, I'm going to be talking about some stuff that might trigger something in you, but this is what I can do where I am in my recovery without, you know, tipping off to something else. Exactly. Now this podcast is, you know, definitely a focus on diet culture, dieting, weight loss, all of that. But it's also, I just, I'm, I come from an Italian background, so I love food in general. And so that's another reason I love Taylor because she like, (laughs) she loves food. Like I love to hear about what people are eating, whether it's, you know, quote unquote bad or, you know, delectable and (laughs) indulgent. Like I love hearing about that. Oh yeah. Um, and so I, I'm, so I like to get into specifics and if any, if I ask you anything that makes you uncomfortable, or you don't want to get into, feel free not to. I mean, I think I'm such an open book. I probably need to like pull back someday. So don't (laughs) worry. There's nothing you'll ask. Okay. So I really wanted to get into your background with the pageant world. Cause I'm just fascinated. So what, what, first of all, let's start at the beginning. Like what made you get into the pageant world? Yeah. So I had been a swimmer my entire life. I had actually swimmer and horseback rider. I had started swimming at four, I think maybe younger. I don't know. 
Um, horseback riding around like five, got competitive in both at six. You know, I was on um, travel team for swimming. I think I was a junior Olympian 12 times. I say, I think, because I did it so many times that I forgot after a little while. Um, I was on national travel teams, you know, traveled the world. We did a annual meet in Arizona. Like it was, it was what my plan for my life was, is that athletics were everything. And then, you know, got to college and, you know, even with horseback riding, I did that, uh, pro-am. So I was like, I was a kid, you know, leaving in the winter to go do the winter show series in Florida from DC. Like I basically had two jobs from the time I was a child. I got really elite at both of them at about six and seven. Um, so like overachievers anonymous is my, the <laughs> thing I signed up for at a very early age, sure. but I got to college, um, had gone through the college recruiting process for swimming, knew I wouldn't be horseback riding because they both take so much time, retired from riding competitively, um, intentionally did not pick a particular school because I didn't like the coach, only to get to Miami and the coach had left that previous school and gone to Miami. So um, was kind of on the long road uh, to knowing that I was going to be leaving. And so pretty much like overnight, um, between both injury and not being able to work with this coach, like I had to retire. I was 18 years old and the entire course of my life changed like overnight. And I truly spiraled. I really was like adrift, like nobody's business. And when I was, I knew 19 and I literally would tell everybody that listen, I was like, I have done everything I'm going to do with my life between four and 18. My life is over. (laughs) And I remember like, kind of, I tried my hand at being a party girl. I was awful at it. I was so bad at it. I was like, where are the chairs? My feet hurt. (laughs) This is awful. And so, yeah. And so my, um, my roommate at the time, one of my best friends, she in the effort to keep me from being alone with my own thoughts. She took me to the um, Miss University of Miami pageant and she leaned over to me about midway through it. And she was like, you could do something like this. And I was like, no, I could not couple that with the fact that my mother is a former couture fit model. We watched the pageant together every year because it was a very odd and fascinating world to her. And so you know, night before I turned 20, I basically wrote out a bucket list of everything I wanted to do in my twenties. Cause I thought I had basically peaked. Um, so on that list was a marathon. And so I ran my first marathon. I'm going to be running my fifth in November running wow. New York city for the second time. That's crazy. It's bananas. And it's I remember on your body. Isn't oh, it? it is the most, it is mentally drink when people are like, it's physically hard, right? I'm like, it is the most brutal time and you have never felt more pain <laughs> and no matter how elite or beginner there's nothing like it and I was truly like decrepit crawled across the finish line and my best friend said to me the same one that took me to the pageant she said all right so we did this what's next and I said uh, I think I want to go to Miss Universe and my family knows me well enough that the response everybody had was all right so what's the first step and like everything, I researched who the best of the best were, reverse engineered how it worked and, you know, got myself one of the greatest pageant coaches of all time. She's in the Guinness World Record for the most winners and most back-to-back winners at Miss Universe. I basically moved to Puerto Rico and this woman transformed me like a fairy godmother and I had, you know, stylists and all this stuff. And so that's how I did. I mean, I truly am a one and done. Like I did one pageant in my life. <laughs> I won it. And it took me to the biggest thing, the biggest stage probably in American pageants that there is. And it is now as of uh, the time we're filming, recording this as of yesterday was officially my 12 year anniversary of taking the stage at a, in Vegas. Wow. Well, you're clearly very goal oriented and, yes. <laughs> and very, um, you know, just, just driven to accomplish and, and so what did that training and coaching look like, especially from like a diet and fitness? Yeah, practice? right. And so I think like, that's the funny thing is like, I had started and this is, a, I don't know if this is like culturally different, but initially when I started, I went to like, you run of the, not run of the mill. She's an amazing woman, but I went to like a, a U.S. based pageant coach mm-hmm. and the instant focus was like, yeah, yeah, we're going to teach you all the stuff you need to know and interview, but you got to get thin. And it was kind of like, huh, Okay. Now, you know, I go to Vegas, 
because I wanted to see it in real life. You know, if you can see it, you can believe it. I was like, I want to see the pageant in real life. I want to start visualizing myself on that stage. Ran into this gentleman that made a dress for um, a Miss Universe winner that I had adored that when I was having shoulder surgery from swimming, I would watch it on, on uh, TiVo on repeat, this particular woman, um, Zulika Rivera. And he, the gentleman that made the dress was there. Um, got to meet him, absolutely sobbed when he left the dressing room because he said, you're very beautiful. And I just like, to me, it was like, oh my God, this man thinks I'm beautiful. And so when I came out, he was like, are you competing? And I said, I'm thinking about it. And he was like, well, if you do, I have somebody I think you should meet for your coach. And that's how I met Grace Fontecha. And Grace's whole thing, Grace is a Cuban woman born and raised in Miami, moved down to Puerto Rico. And... (laughs) She was like, when we started, I instantly thought, oh, this woman's going to call me fat. Like this woman's going to see, she's trained some of the best in the world. She's going to look at me and be like, ooh. And I guess I was heavier, but her focus was like, what's the best version of you? I think that's why Grace turns out winners. Yeah. So like, she didn't get into like, how do I make you thin? How do I make, I remember she like looked me over. She took my measurements and she was like, okay. And she was like, one girl, I make Betty Boop. Another girl, I make this. And she was like, you, you, I make Panther. I make, I make you strong. And I remember being like, what? Huh? And I remember she like showed me a picture of Naomi Campbell and she was like, you see how her legs are so strong just all the way down. And it was like, when I met with the trainers and the people, she was like, I I don't want her thin. I want her strong. I want her, I want her like a Panther. I want her to move. And I want, it was like the, when she described it, when she was like, she was like, you know, when you see a Panther and they just move and it was like, and you see the muscles rippling and you know, when an attack is coming, cause you can see when she was like, that's what I want for you. I want just, I just want, and I just remember thinking like, okay, okay. Now that I can do, I can do, I can, I know how to get stronger. I know how to get, I know how to do that. And, you know, I'm forever grateful because God knows like, People that were not Grace were like, nothing's better than skinny feels. Oh, you should be trying to. And Grace was like, I'm not interested in that. Like, I want you. I just, I want that. She was like, I want a panther. I want, I want a hunter. She was like, I want you to, she was like, I want everyone to be prey. And I was like, all right, dope, let's do it. So, you know, that whole process was not as scary as I thought it was going to be, thankfully with the guidance of Grace. But prior to Grace, ooh, it was miserable. I was like, if I eat one more bowl of cottage cheese, I'm going to, I'm going to throw myself off my balcony. (laughs) And it also currently speaks to like the whole conversation with Jesse Jollis and really how we should really all think it's like, we all are unique in ourselves and we should just shine. It's like, yeah, you know, that the flower doesn't look to look at the flower next to it with jealousy or whatever. Exactly. Right. Yeah be the best version of you. So I love that. It was always funny because she assigned like alter egos and like spirit animals and characters to every woman. And so it was this funny thing where it's like, you know, I don't have the same story as Stephanie. Stephanie doesn't have the same story as Anastasia. Anastasia doesn't have the same one as Zulika. And like, that's kind of the beauty in it is that it never was this, like you really can't spot a Fontecha girl in the wild because we're all so uniquely ourselves that it's like, oh, okay, okay. Totally. I love it. Well, good. Well, that's, that's really interesting. I love that. How, how long did you train with that coach before you actually got? Yeah, I was with grace maybe for like eight, seven, eight months. Okay. And then miss DC fell around. Um, it fell around Thanksgiving. So I didn't really have to tell anybody what I was doing. People just knew I looked very different Yeah, and they knew I was behaving very different, but like nobody could pinpoint where, how, or why this was happening. So it was this great thing where it was kind of just like, what, what is going on with you? Why do you seem so different? And I was like, I have no clue what you guys are talking about. (laughs) The only time people caught on is I was doing like fascia, Massage, this is so nerdy, but I was doing like these massages where they were breaking up fascia. And I remember coming into class and I just had bruises all over my body. And one of my friends was like, are you okay? I remember I was seeing a football player at the time and she was like, are you okay? Do we need to talk? And I was like, girl, I'm fine. I was like, I let a little Brazilian woman beat me up with a stick. Like it's fine. I'm good. What is that? Is this like a special massage that like breaks up tissue? Yeah, it was almost like gua sha, but like worse. And it's <laughs> and it's like a whole lymphatic draining thing okay. and all this stuff. So literally it was just like, if you're going to be working out for hours and doing all this stuff, like 
we do all this. So at least it works on the back end. I mean, between the, between the marks from that, and then I was getting vitamin IVs. So I had nice little track marks on the inside of my arms. My friends (laughs) must've been like, what is this bitch doing? Is she on drugs? (laughs) So funny. So so let's go now. And that, that whole world is fascinating. So I, it's, I a, love- it's a wild world. I will glad as somebody who didn't live in it, I will gladly tell people all the absurdity of it and all the beauty of it. That must've been cool winning though. I mean, it that was, been- it's wild. Like I still think back and think that didn't actually happen. So- and then it's like, Oh, it did. What? Yeah. So awesome. That's just a cool thing. Um, cool. So I kind of wanted to get back into like your childhood. Yeah. So, so growing up, um, you know, cause a lot of us, and cause I talk a lot about on this show, like I have the, 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 the good side and the bad side, or I know you're not supposed to use those terms, but like, like my dad had massive heart attack after heart attack after heart attack because specifically of his eat, he smoked two packs yeah. a day, yeah. only ate fried food, just tons of sugar. And, and my mom is like really healthy and fit. Okay. You know, and so, and I know your dad just had, but, I don't, yeah, but just that had, wasn't because of his nutrition, right? That no, was like, not because of his nutrition. Cause Lord knows my mom and I are on him like hawks. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause he looks like he's in good shape. And- he's in great shape. I mean, the man is also, I have to give him credit. He's 80 years old. Like I treat him like he's a, <laughs> a 60 something year old man getting sick on me. And then the people are like, Kenzie, this is awesome. <laughs> you gotta ease up on him a little bit. <laughs> You're like, come run the marathon with me, dad. Yeah, no, I'm not kidding you. On my birthday this last year, when I turned 33 and I made my parents go to Disneyland with me and it's like beating down heat. We're like in the line for a ride. that's like 90 minutes long. I looked at my dad and I went, oh my God, I drug an 80 year old in the heat out to Disney. I'm going to kill this man. Oh no. Like it was truly that moment where like we were getting, we were in the line and when we got on the ride and he was like, wait, I'm trying to get down in this. And I was like, oh my God, my poor father. Right. Right. And so, you know, I, I think that, you know, cause, cause like when I used to counsel women with weight loss, um, weight loss industry, there'd be women that it was torture for them to drink water because they grew up on soda and Kool-Aid. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? So I think we are very much shaped by, you know, what we were given as children and how yeah. we were raised. So, and you have a lot of healthy habits, obviously. Yeah. I mean, you're an athlete from, so I would imagine that your parents taught you healthy habits. So what yeah. is it like growing up? Well, I think the huge roots of it come from my dad's mother was a home act teacher. Um, and then my grandmother, my maternal grandmother um, is both uh, part indigenous and she was a caterer. So like when you were saying the thing about food, it's like food is everything, but also this, the indigenous side of it is like these roots and also she's got South Asian heritage as well. So like the idea of like food and things being a part of like medicine and they have purpose and energy and intention for why you eat them and how you eat them. Um, you know, that always was there. Then my mother had been, this is why I always say when people are like, you're impressive. I'm like, you should meet my family. My mother had been an all American volleyball player. So for her, Like, you know, it's like this woman literally similar to my way, how I went from swimming to pageantry. She went from all American volleyball player to couture fit model. Like she, when she was, (laughs) got injured and went on to her next phase. So like to her athleticism, all of that stuff mattered. Right. It's like, I, I know when a lot of times, especially women my age talk, they're like, Oh, I can always remember my mother on a diet. It's like, I more so always remember my mother being active. It's like, I can still visualize her in the living room, like doing an aerobics tape. I can still hear her being like, well, let's take a walk after dinner. Like that kind of stuff. My dad, on the other hand, least athletic person you ever met in your life. He is not an athlete. Like his sister prides herself on the fact that she has not exercised or broken a sweat since the sixties, because (laughs) like in this idea of culture, right. It's like when they grew up, this idea of manual labor, black folks that sweat and did labor, it meant that you weren't doing well for yourself. So like to my dad, it was like when he played tennis, when he was younger, it was like so uncouth to everybody that it was like, Oh, you got in the sun and you sweat. Oh, earnest. But my mom kind of having these roots of like, you know, health and, and wellness. It's, and it's funny you say how you grew up, like, again, it's that culture thing, right? It's like, I'm a product of the nineties and two thousands, like heroin chic was everything. You know, we were alive the first time, you know, Robin got on top model and Janice Dickinson called her obese. It's like, I still think about that. I spent my entire, this is like a very, 
long-winded thing, but it ties also to the pageant. I spent my entire life, my grandmother always talking about how big my legs were. I always thought it was an insult for years of like, I mean, we're talking from childhood to adulthood. She'd always be like, look at those big old legs. and would like squeeze my legs. And I would think, God, is she calling my legs fat? It was not until my grandmother, when I was a much older woman and I was probably in the pageant and she had dementia and I, she said, so basically we would do rehearsal. It was open. Family could come. We were doing rehearsal. I was fully in my like showgirl opening outfit. I see my family. I run up the stairs. I go to kiss my grandmother and she could run back down the stairs. And my mom said later that she was like, I, cause I came out later in my regular clothes. Like I am now. And she was like, Oh, Mackenzie, you missed it. The most beautiful girl came up here and she gave me a hug and a kiss and she was on that stage. And I was like, she was, what did she look like? She was like, she had all this long hair and, and these big old legs. And so I kind of, after she said, I turned to my mom and I was like, oh, well, she's still talking about my legs. And she goes, Mackenzie, your grandmother is a child of the depression. She grew up at a time when like big, thick, pretty legs were all the, she was like, sweetheart, that's like her, she has always loved your legs. And I was like, I'm sorry. I was like, I have literally spent 21 years at that time. I was like 21 years of my life thinking that was an insult. And she was like, no, that was a compliment. She felt like you had legs like Lena Horne and, you know, and, and Josephine Baker and Diane Permise and all this stuff. He was like, she thinks you look like Judith Jamison, who was uh, this black ballet dancer. And I remember being like, what? And it's like that whole idea of how you grow up. It's like culture. It's like, I had both like pop culture and, and black culture would intervene at these moments in which I would not be sure on one side if I was ugly, but then on the other side, it was like, you're a 10, you know, and it was, and it was very interesting kind of like mental whiplash growing up. That's, that's so interesting because how we like, as children, we're like looking around, trying to get these, you know, feedback from society. Like how, yes. how are we good? Are we acceptable? Are we lovable? You know, and we interpret it through this lens of like trying to understand what they mean by it. Like, yes. so it's just, it's, it's really, I mean, I remember sobbing when I got boobs and I remember telling my mom and my mother, God bless her is like, she is the most like, own your body, love yourself. She buys me. She found out that every girl had Victoria's Secrets underwear. She bought me a bra and matching panties. I was furious with her. I was like, how dare you? Everybody's going to know I wear a bra now. They're going to know I look, they're going to think I'm gross. Because again, heroin chic, it was like a smaller, I mean, I, I was like Katy Perry. I would get on my knees every night and be like, God, please don't make them grow any bigger. Please, if you (laughs) care anything about me. And then again, it's like the idea of society then you fast forward and you're a teenage girl. And now all of a sudden you're like, you know, and it, but this idea of pop culture, it's like, I would go to school, predominantly white school. And people are kind of like, mm, you know, snapping your bra straps, doing all this stuff. Then on the flip side, older cousins where I would go around, you know, I would go to a football game and all these guys would be like, Hello. Oh my God. And I was like, I'm sorry. What? Like, shut up. Like at the all girls school, I was like a gross, weird anomaly. And then we would go out around teenagers or see teenagers of color. And all of a sudden I was like, am I, am I ugly or am I just around the wrong people? Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny. So, so, so with your family, when you grew up, did you have like family dinners, like, like well-balanced, like, yeah. Pretty well balanced. I was always, I don't know where this came from, but I hated sweets growing up, like genuinely hated them. So like I was the person that at a birthday party, the families would have to get like, uh, like crudite boards because I wouldn't eat cake, even though everybody in my family has a massive sweet tooth. My grandfather was a type two diabetic. I lived through watching him lose both his legs to diabetes, eventually having to be on a dialysis machine and, you know, eventually passing away and, you know, so it's like people love sweets, but like for some reason I didn't, but I loved broccoli. So that was a staple at dinner. I, I legitimately eat broccoli with cheese every day for every meal. If people would let me like, to me, that's a comfort food, not because my mother was like trying to make me, but I just loved it so much. And then, you know, she was, they, again, I don't know if it's like, it's the culture or just the nature of how 
they were exposed to the world, but like we were definitely a home cooked family. I taught myself to cook. I cooked my parents' anniversary dinner um, when I was like eight and it was like five courses and all this stuff. But, you know, we just, we always had Sunday dinner. That was a huge thing to, or not Sunday dinner, but weeknight dinner together always. That was a huge thing to my dad. Um, so we always had to sit at the table together, have dinner. Um, Fridays were pizza night, which I loved. I don't know why every American family had pizza night, but on Fridays, what we did. Um, and then Sunday dinner was always something that was meant to be special. Okay. Nice. Yeah. I, I, we had family dinners too. And it was always, yeah. I think that's, it's, I think it's important, although not everyone grew up like that, obviously. Exactly. And I think I'm always very, I am very rooted. And I think you probably gather this from when I talked to Taylor, like I'm a very aware also of like my privilege of having like this nuclear two parent home of growing up a fairly light skinned black woman in America, you know, having, um, you know, socioeconomic privilege. It's like, I know that that's such a luxury to have been able to sit with my parents and have dinner and talk about school and have it not be this kind of like high pressure situation or being on the move. Um, But yeah, it was, my mom was very big on uh, making my breakfast too. It's very cute. I've now learned later in life that my mother hated oatmeal, like (laughs) vehemently, but it was one of my favorite foods. So she would still cook it, but apparently be like gagging the entire time she was (laughs) making it. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think, the other part of kind of how I grew up with food is because I became a fairly elite athlete at such a young age, (laughs) like sports nutrition became part of my life. Like I was drinking branch chain amino acids as like a middle schooler, you know, it's like, I was walking around with the cooler bag being like, okay, it's 12. I got to eat. You know, it's like, it was, yeah, it was that part of it is always very strange where I'm like, I was so exposed to that. And then, um, coupled with that my mother had had Graves disease so she had a thyroid issue I myself dealt with thyroid and blood sugar issues so I think I very roundabout way to get to the point but like I've always kind of also lived my life with this lens and understanding that like diabetes is always around the corner along with you know blowing out my thyroid so I also have always even as a child had to make decisions that kind of support that yeah. And, and the, the, the fact that you were an athlete, I mean, you definitely have probably a more advanced understanding of good nutrition just for physical. Oh yeah. It's most. wild. It's yeah. truly wild. when I think back to being like a kid and being on traveling swim trips and everybody's like pizza, pizza. And I'm like, do you have salmon? And everybody's <laughs> like, are you really trying to order? And I was like, well, I have to have salmon and a little bit of brown rice and some broccoli before meats. And I was like, cause yeah. I can't carbo load. Cause it makes my blood insulin go up. And then I'm going to be, t-. it's like, it's wild that I knew that stuff is like an 11 year old. Yeah. So, so let's talk about today. Um, and yeah. I know you're, you're training for a marathon. So your routine probably looks a little bit different than it might yep. if you're not training for a marathon, but <laughs> can you kind of take me through a typical day or take us through a typical day, like food and fitness and what yeah. all that, like, I, I like the details. Absolutely. Um, well, I will say I'm going to give you like the ideal Okay. Routine. Cause right now my routine is my dogs are with my mother. So I am sleeping in like nobody's business right now. What a dream, what a treat, but typically, Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, I was gonna be like, I'm sleeping in till six. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, but typically I'm a, I'm trying to do better. I got off the train of it, but my morning routine typically consists of what are called favors. So it's like, I do a little bit of meditation, some affirmations, do some positive visualization. Um, I try to sweat. So usually that is a separate thing. So within it's like, if five minutes is dedicated to each thing, I'll grab my jump rope, do five minutes of my jump rope, get my heart rate up, then go into reading all the other aspects of the morning. Now there is typically a workout in there. So if it's not a body weight workout, it's cardio, something in the morning, I'm a morning workout person. If it comes any later in the day, I got every excuse. I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Like I have to get it out of the way first thing. Um, And then usually I, so I am trying again in my productivity thing. I try to wake before I caffeinate. So I drink a crap ton of water 
try to give myself an hour after I woke up before I have my first like caffeinated thing, whether it's matcha or coffee. Um, and then so I go work for- out on an empty stomach. Oh yeah. I work okay. out on empty. Now, if it's going to be like a brutal workout, I yeah. like will take a date and fill it with some almond butter. Okay. That's my equivalent of a goo. I am ve- like goos gross me out. I hate them so much. What is a goo? It's literally like sugar gel that you can have. Okay. For athletes, sometimes, right? yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'll take a pre-workout before I work out. Um, pre-workouts truly to me are just co- acceptable cocaine. Like I've never <laughs> felt more insane than when I take a pre-workout supplement. I'm like, my whole body is itchy. I'm like, if I don't work out in the next 10 minutes, I think I'm going to explode. So shout outs to the pre-workout people. They figured out what they're doing. Um, and yeah, and then breakfast typically consists of like a green smoothie or a smoothie of some sort. Right now it's tons of greens. So it's like mango, cilantro, mint, jalapeno, cucumber, uh, spinach, all of that stuff, coconut water um, as like my morning smoothie. And then I usually will either do some more reading or I will rewatch or watch whatever I missed on TV the night before um, while I get ready to like kind of get into the workday. So it's nothing too crazy. And then throughout the workday, you know, it's like, meals, this, that, you know, it depends. Sweet greens is my buddy because some days, and then on days where I have no time, I meal prep a lot of stuff on the weekends. So I'll go in there if I have like 15 minutes between calls and grab some chicken, (laughs) grab some rice, (laughs) grab some veggies, go out about my day. Um, yeah. And then there's, there's some snacks and stuff like, um, there's this great drink called element. It's like a salt thing, but it helps you, kind of keep your energy up. I try not to have any caffeine past three. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then it's, you know, dinner is usually salmon. Cause I love salmon. I'm a weirdo. Like fish is delicious to me. Um, or I love a burger. I love an open face burger. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's nothing too crazy that I kind of do throughout the day. And I'm trying to develop a night routine. A lot of this is like trying, I do my best and then I fail sometimes, but um, I keep a habit tracker in my bullet journal. So, you know, there are things that have to get done every day without fail. Um, And then there's, you know, nighttime skincare routine and we go to sleep and start it all over again tomorrow, trying to take over the world. Would if you have, if you're going to get a burger out, where do you think is the best burger? Oh, so I love Shake Shack. Some people hate smash burgers. No, smash burgers my favorite. It they're so good. Oh, I love them. And then so there's good. and then to prove that I moved to LA in a pandemic, there is a burger spot I love, but I have now found out it is like the hottest rooftop bar in LA. This whole time I thought it was a restaurant, but <laughs> they have my favorite burger. I get it with no bun, not because I'm trying to be carb conscious. I just don't like anything to get between meat, meat and cheese. It's like get get that bun out of here. I just want to eat the meat and the cheese. Um I need so, bread. I need see, a good bun. That's and it's always like and it's funny, right? Cuz a lot of times when I'm like, oh, with no bur- no bun, people are like, oh, is it because you're dieting? I'm like, no, it's because I love it and cheese. Really? You really you <laughs> prefer it without the bun? I prefer it without the bun. Wow. I know. It's wild. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's wild. And then, um, you know, I love all the cheese in the world on it. Okay. Yeah. So you're a cheese lover. Yeah. I mean, I'm a savory person. Like I've always like, when I have anything sweet and I tell my best friend this all the time, like how dare she introduce me to chocolate in college. Cause I really am not like a sweet person. This like later in life love now of like chocolate and like a cinnamon roll confuses my family to no end because I truly was the person that like, even as a child, I was like, I'll take the cheese plate. I'll take a charcuterie plate before (laughs) I'll get dessert. Well, it's funny how as you age, and I've noticed this, that your tastes do evolve because I, I was a kid that, and my dad is like, you're not Italian. I would, (laughs) I would scrape the cheese off my pizza. I hated cheese, but as I've gotten older, I now do like some cheeses. Like I like a cold feta cheese in my salad. Yeah. I I will eat cheese on my pizza now. Not, I don't like a ton of it, but I do like some cheese on my pizza now. So I've like, I like some Parmesan cheese on my pasta, you know. It's funny because like the things that we either grow to love or that we loved as kids. Like to me, one of my favorite meals on the planet and every, and now it's like hot, but is like liver and onions. Oh, really? Oh yes. Like, that's so funny. Like the fact now that all the fitness bros are like, you gotta eat organ meat, bro. I'm like, guys, I've been eating organ meat since I was a baby. 
Yeah. No, I was just listening to this podcast. It's like this Max guy. That's like this. Yeah, big- Max Lugavere. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Liz was just making fun of him, but he he's like very cerebral. But he um he had this woman on that's like this chef like influencer who was just talking about how good liver is like a superfood yeah. like liver. Yeah. Wow. And I just naturally love it. I yeah. I'm I listen to a lot of Max's stuff because you know in my free time, whatever free time I have, I'm also a memory athlete. So you know that's a thing. So I spend, so nutrition impacts also now a lot of that too, where I'm like, what's good brain food. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm all, I'm all into preventing cognitive decline because yep. my great grandmother had dementia. My grandmother had stroke and dementia. And so I'm all about superfoods and, yeah. and you know, I mean, I love the, the, the crap processed foods too. Don't get me wrong, oh, but I, same. I do try, like I have a superfood smoothie every morning just to try to like prevent cognitive and I use, use a lot of cannabis too. Well, it's funny you, you say that. Cause that's how I got into memory doing memory competitions is because my grandmother had dementia and I watched a documentary because I think we have figured out the thesis statement here is if I see somebody do something and I think I can pull it off, I will try to do it. And I watched a Netflix doc at the time. Um, and this guy, Nelson Dellis, who ended up becoming my memory uh, trainer he started doing it because his grandmother had Alzheimer's. Like he started doing memory competence. And so it's the same thing. Like a lot, it's truly what you just said is like so much of my thoughts and feelings about health and wellness are informed by what I saw my grandmother and grandfather go through. And so, you know, it's like, I'm not some great healthy person. I've just seen what the other side of that does to you. And so that's why I'm always like, okay. Do you drink alcohol? How often do you drink alcohol? I'm not a big drinker because I don't, And it's only because, not because I'm a good person. I just don't get it. I think the problem was I got ruined at a frat party because a friend (laughs) said, oh, you'll love vodka. It tastes like nothing. Here's the thing. I don't know if it's because I am slightly neurodivergent, but like truly when she said it tastes like nothing, my brain went, it's going to taste like nothing. And then when I tasted it and it did not taste like nothing. (laughs) It tastes like rubbing alcohol. I was like, get me out of here. Get me the hell up out of here. And so I'm just not a big drinker. Now, if I find like, I am also a fan of food. If I go to a restaurant and it's an amazing wine menu, like some world-class sommelier, if it's a bartender that makes the greatest cocktails you've ever had, I'm in. But just like, I remember in grad school, somebody said like, what do you do when you're stressed out? I said, I go home and play the Sims. That's what I do. I was like, I have nothing else for you guys. Yeah. No, that's good though. That's good. I mean, it's so it's toxic. You know, I, I'm hung over right now for <laughs> last night. So, you know, I, 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 I try not to drink that much, but you know, I'm with a boyfriend that's like drinks a lot. Well, you know, what's always funny though, too, is like, I think off of the childhood thing, I think because I had heard as a child from my grandfather that he had had a sister that dealt with alcoholism. We had people in the family that had dealt with drugs. It's like, I am just naturally convinced that I have a proclivity for an addictive behavior. So I also like run away from it. Like I am one of, I, this is a horror I'm telling on myself, but I remember having surgery and the doctor was like, here's Oxycontin. And I took it. And when I took it, I went, Oh no, this would be a problem. And so from that point on, the doctor was like, are you taking, I kept being like, I'm in so much pain. And he was like, are you taking your medicine? And I was like, no, cause I, I know where this is going. And that was actually, that was the surgery I had uh, for my shoulder before I went off to college because of swimming. Good for Well, that's good for you though, that you you know, no, oh, like I, am, I immediately was like, Oh no, this is going to awaken something. Like I was just like, take this from me, take yeah. it away. Yeah, no, that's smart. That's smart. Well, this has been such a great conversation. I, I mean, you know, we're just like going back and forth. I yeah. love hearing about your background. I, I, you know, and I learned a lot more about you that I didn't know, um, you know, just because of like, I didn't know you were an athlete since a child and, it, and it makes sense that, you know, that you have these really good habits. I mean, you know, when I went on your mom's Instagram, I mean, she is like, I was like, is that an old picture or am I looking no. at a current picture? I mean, it's it's upsetting how beautiful she is. It's, it's very insane. confusing. It's and it's like, <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like, I'm always like, I hate you a lot. And she's like, no, you don't. I'm like, no, you're an evil woman. How dare you look like this? Like, get Are out of here. Are your siblings athletes too? No. So that's the funny part. So my brother and my sister are actually, uh, my dad's kids from his first marriage. So there was literally 25 years between myself and my siblings. So like nobody thought my dad was getting married again. Nobody thought he was having another child. And the next thing he knows, he meets a very beautiful reporter at an event 
and the rest is history. Um, but my brother played basketball uh, for a little while, but he wasn't at the level I was. And then my sister is not athletic at all. I remember as a child, she came to a swim meet and I think thought I just like putzed around. And then I, it was a finals night. And I remember um, my dad telling me later, he was like, yeah, your sister all night was like, well, when's Mackenzie swimming? <laughs> and he goes, and then we got to like the final heat where they like bring out the DJs and the stuff and the jumbotrons. And she was like, and your sister looked at me and goes, oh, so she's like, good, good. And he was <laughs> like, yeah, Jess, she's really good at this. So cool. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know you were a, 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 a an Olympic athlete. I mean, I think it's always funny, right? It's like, and I think we're all guilty of this. Like I very much am like, because I didn't win I don't get to talk about it the same thing with the pageant I used to feel like because I wasn't Miss USA I don't reserve the right to discuss it like because I wasn't a top five finalist or whatever and then you get time passes and people are like well how'd you get into pageants and you're like well when I retired from and they're like I'm sorry rewind so you were a swimmer and you're like well yeah and then it's like you know or they'll see like riding medals and stuff and ribbons and they're like what's that from? And I'm like, oh, well, I used to ride semi-professionally as a kid. Like, that's how I, I made money. And they're like, I'm sorry, who are you? And I'm like, I apparently the most interesting woman alive. Seriously. But it also speaks to why, how you're so disciplined, right? Even with your, with how much you've accomplished just with your business in the business world and with school and with all these things. I mean, you know, you were very disciplined from a child. <laughs> so yeah. it translates into you know, I mean, some people fall apart as they age, but you know, you listen. <laughs> I mean, hey, I there were there were some white knuckle moments in there where I was like, "What is wrong with you?" But <laughs> I, I am for it's one of those things. In hindsight, now when I was a kid, I used to hate it. I used to feel like I wish I had parents that cared less. I wish I had a mother that didn't want this for me. And now, as an adult, you know, when you're 33 and you look back, and people are like, "Wow, you're doing well for yourself." You're like, "Well, because." Like you said, I, I was taught discipline at a very, very young age. Yeah. Well, everybody follow Mackenzie. Mackenzie, it's uh, at, tell them your handle. Yes, it's at Miss USA to MBA. So Miss USA, like the title, T-O, and then MBA, like the degree. Right. And then is there anything you want to promote or share with our audience? Um, I don't know. I mean, check out the Taylor Strecker show. If you haven't, I highly recommend it. Not for myself, but for the nine other incredible co-hosts that will give you a range and a dearth of topics and conversation every week. And Taylor's a friggin' gem. And um, yeah. yeah, that's about it. You know, I mean, yeah. I would like plug some Marvel project, but I'm not in it. Just go see it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a very entertaining show and Mackenzie's a great follow, especially in her stories. So definitely follow her on Instagram and please follow me on Instagram or this podcast at the diet obsessed podcast. And um, so this episode will probably air not next week, but the following week. So Dope. yeah. So I'll send you a little clip of it. And um, thank you so much for your time today, Mackenzie. It was such a pleasure thank to get you to for chat having with you. me. I, yeah. It really was an honor and I'm so grateful that I was connected with you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, until we meet again, everyone have a very balanced week. <laughs>